Hey, good morning. I need you to wake up and put your imagination headgear on for a little bit this morning. I, I, I definitely need you to imagine a situation, a story uh, that you will be in. I would like for you to, as best you can, transport yourself backwards to about 100 A.D. I want you to imagine that you live in a small town called Ephesus. I want you to imagine that you know nothing about the word church, that you've never heard of it. What you have at 100 AD in this little town is a little bit of knowledge about something that happened over in Jerusalem, several hundred miles away. And in 100 AD, that's a long journey. Somebody told you that there was a man who claimed to be the son of God. And that was interesting to you because you've had this vacuum, this, this heart thing going on, that there must be something more to life. And maybe, just maybe, this was it. But that's not the only thing you heard. You heard that, as we sang moments ago, that that buried body began to breathe again and come back to life. You heard that more than 500 people actually saw the crucifixion and saw this resurrection from death to life. Nothing like this had ever been spoken before. Nothing had ever... It it, it just gripped you. I want you to imagine, if you can, this is hard because I'm, I'm wanting you to stay away from what you know today about Christianity. I just want you to imagine that You'd never had any idea of anything other than this message. And, and so what you've done is somebody told somebody who told you, hey, let's get together, let's talk about this. Let's find out what happened. And, and, and so they got together and, and they began to, what, what if it could be? What if this really did happen? And then one day this dude shows up. His name is Paul of Tarsus. And he begins to say, hey, I got to meet this guy personally, this, this Jesus, the Son of God. And, and so all of a sudden, everybody is this long-awaited thing that they've wanted not a Messiah, because they, didn't, they weren't Jewish. They didn't know anything about Judaism. It was just this heart pang. Something has to happen in this world. Something has to turn on the lights. And, and so you're with these people. And, and so you begin this friendship based around this information, this story that you've heard. And it's really all you have. There is no direction. There is no Bible, as we call it. We don't know anything other than the story. We have a measure of faith because we heard about someone who said he was the son of God and of all things, he was dead and came back to life and there were witnesses and that's what really mattered. You have no Christian background, no theological training in the group that you're in. Again, no Bible. And 
There's no such thing as a church that we know today. You just had that, that hope. And depending on where you were in your faith journey, some, some could be, yes, I'm a follower of this message, and you were hanging on to little bits and pieces of information, and others were like kind of on the journey, not there yet, maybe like we have in this room today. And then an announcement's made that the guy Paul, um, he's going to send a letter and explain to you what's next. Explain to you what to do now. That had to be an amazing moment because these people had no idea what to do next. They didn't know anything about anything related to what you're supposed to do. And so it's this letter that we've been looking at in this series for the last four or five weeks that we call Made for More. And this letter was written to the church in Ephesus that you are part of, but it was designed for the church for ages to come. So I want to... I want to quickly summarize what we've learned, but I want to do it in a way, I want you still in, in the setting. You know, you're, what do we do? Because what I'm really going to ask you to do today is forget a lot of what you thought was church, Christianity, and I want you to try as best you can to look at this the way these people looked at this because they did not know. And I'm pretty convinced that in our American culture today, we don't know church. We don't understand it. So if you will do what I've been doing and pulling away from what I've seen, what I've felt, what has disappointed me or challenged me, pull away and let's go back to the beginning and see if we can get our hearts wrapped around this. Ephesians is a book in the Bible, but it was really a letter And it had six sections in the letter that Paul was addressing certain things to. So we're going to look at the first section in uh, verse 23 of, of Ephesians 1. It starts out and it says, The church is his body. Now let me just stop right there. Um, his is Jesus. The church is Jesus' body. Now that's buzzword in, in church world, okay? Of course, we're the body of Christ. Okay, we, we know all of that, Greg. But let's just stop for a moment. Jesus had a body. And then his body went away when he ascended into heaven. So what this is really saying is that the church, which is a gathering, our gathering of people who have met Jesus, heard about Jesus, and we're in this faith walk, we are literally the body, we, we are the, the feet, the hands, the, the heart, the mind, we are the, the body of Jesus to this world. If Jesus is in this world, it's, it's us. We are the, Je- you know, this is again buzzword, we're the Jesus of people. See, we're the Jesus that Jesus left. We're his body. When you walk out of the door today, Jesus' body is walking out the door. And he goes on in that same thing, he says, made full and complete by Christ. Now let's listen to this. Christ who fills all things everywhere with himself. As I've shared with you before, there is no place in this world, in our nation, that Jesus is not in. And you are in places that I'm never in. You take Jesus everywhere you go. That's, that's how it works. Paul's trying to teach us something here. In the second section, in verse 10, he's talking to us as individuals. Now, not as the church at large, but as individuals. He says, For we are God's masterpiece. Whoever you are today, please hear me, wherever you are in life. You may have started this faith walk with Jesus. You may have asked him to come into your heart. And you may be the most messed up person you know. And... You may feel not as good or not good enough. 
to be here or not as good as others. You may feel like, you know, you, you may have an addiction that just drives you crazy. You may have a mindset that you look back at your past and you say, it's been created like this and I, I don't know what to do. I can't get over this. To you, whoever you are, wherever you are, God has created you to be a masterpiece. He calls you out, and he says you're a masterpiece. That's pretty gracious. It's pretty incredible that God would look at us, that he would look at me and say, you're a masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus. So the day you step over that faith line, he has changed your identity. And he created you anew so you can do the good things he planned for you a long time ago. There's not a person in this room for whom God has not given an incredible masterpiece plan. Not one person. It's yours. The, sec- or the third section of the letter then Christ will make his home in your hearts as you trust in him. Now he's going to talk about how you get strong, what, what, what maturity looks like in your faith. Your roots will grow down into God's rules. Is that what it says? No. It's love. It's not rules. It's not regs. It, religion says it's rules and regs. Jesus And the Apostle Paul says it's love. You want to grow strong? You grow deep in God's love. And that keeps you strong. And may you have the power to understand, as all God's people should, how wide, how long, how high, and how deep his love is. Then he goes on in in the fourth section, in verse 11, and he talks about giving gifts to the church. And and I'll, I'll read it and then I'll tell you what I believe about this. Now, these are the gifts Christ gave to the church. Apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. Their responsibility is to equip God's people to do his work and build up the church, the body of Christ. Now, these gifts are not given to just a couple of people in the church to lead the the overall group. These gifts are given out abundantly to many people in the church, I believe, It could be every one of you, depending on some decisions you make, because the idea is that we multiply ourselves over and over in the kingdom and take territory for God. So what do we do with all of this stuff? Well, all through these four sections, first four sections of this letter, Paul's talking about this mysterious plan. He says it like five or six times. There's this mystery, this mysterious plan. There's something that I want to tell you about, and, and you've never heard this before. Now, let's go back to the setting. It's 100 AD, right? The, all of we, what we know about religions all have been for Jewish people. We're like, you know, we're, we're like Gentiles. We're not really that great. So... It says, Paul's talking about this plan, and the plan was this. This is for everybody. It's not just for one group. It is for every person. I want you to think about the most despicable person you know. For me, it just, I got that person in mind. You're not here in this room. Well, maybe you are. I don't know. Um, God's love is for that person. That God's love is for that person who does everything unlike you. There's no one who God does not love and is for. Then he goes on, he talks about this amazing truth, this, this mystery, this idea that God's for everyone. And I want you to really hear what I'm going to say now. Now, all believers, that's us who believe, are to be faithful stewards of this great truth, this sacred secret that was so important to Paul and the Gentiles and to angels. This sacred secret 
is now in our hands. It's now in our hands. We are the body of Christ. There's this mystery that Jesus is for everyone, and this sacred secret has been given to us, and we hold it in our hands. It has not been given to anybody else. It has not been given to somebody else to do. Every one of you who would say to me, I am a follower of Christ, no matter what level you are in all of this, if you are a follower of Christ, you hold in your hands the sacred secret that the world needs. So in the next two sections, Paul gives us two sets of warnings. And I want to talk about those for a little bit. I've told you this before, but I have this recurring dream. It doesn't happen often, but it happens probably once a year or maybe once every two years. But I've never forgotten it from the first time I dreamt this, and it never seems to change or go away. And the dream has been this. It's more like a nightmare that I somehow fall down in the middle of a busy road. And because I'm asleep, but I'm awake, I can't move, and a tractor trailer is coming down the road. Literally, this is just, it's so vivid because it happens to me. It's been, if there's a dream, you know, some people, they read the Old Testament, you know, people have dreams and visions from God. I don't know where this is from. Hell, man, this is awful. And it keeps coming back. But I'm laying in the road. I can't get up. And the truck comes and it runs over me. Every time. And I try to get up and I can't move because I'm sleeping, but I'm not sleeping. I'm stuck. I'm paralyzed. And, and it doesn't hurt. It just kills me. And then I wake up. And I lay in bed and I'm like, why did I just get run over by a tractor trailer? And, I, and it, it happens the same every year or so. It's really weird. Um, let me read this out of the fifth section. Chapter or verse 8, once you were full of darkness, but now you have light from the Lord. This, uh, uh, thank, keep yourself in the setting. You're, you're getting this letter from Paul. He's telling you what's next. You have light from the Lord, so live as people of the light. The light makes everything visible. This is why it is said, awake, O sleeper. Rise up from the dead and Christ will give you life. Light. I'm trying to wake up. The truck's coming. I can't move. If I could wake up, maybe I wouldn't get run over. So, he goes on. Be careful how you live. Don't live like fools, but live like those who are wise. Make the most of every opportunity in these evil days. Do not act thoughtlessly, but understand what the Lord wants you to do. We're brand new believers. We've got this thing going on. We don't know a whole lot, but we get this letter. It doesn't take very long to read the whole thing. A couple hours, maybe. And all of a sudden, we find out that we are sleeping. We need to wake up. We need to get busy, we need to quit wasting time, and we need to go do what the Lord wants us to do. And I will tell you this, just like this stupid dream I have, we have an enemy who keeps us asleep. It's a strange state of being. You are seeing things, but you're asleep, and you can't move. And here's what I truly believe, and I believe this with all of my heart. I believe this is what this section of the letter is really trying to say Folks, we have had too much exposure to church. Way too much exposure to this thing that we have called church for 1,600 years. We can really be involved in church and be totally asleep. We can be sleepwalking, sleep-talking, sleep-churching, and the mystery of God that we're supposed to be stewarding remains a mystery to so many people around us. Now, spirit sleeping has been a problem for a long time. Just go back to the Jesus when he was getting ready to be crucified, and he goes into this, this, this garden, and 
he has his disciples with him and he says, hey, why are you, why are you sleeping? What are you doing? Oh, this is the most important moment of my life and you guys are asleep. Today, we get consumed by the tiniest, insignificant things in the church, things that don't really matter and the world around us has been forgotten. In Revelation, the first five, six chapters of Revelation are letters that John wrote to different churches. Listen to what he said to this church. He says, this is to the angel of the church in Sardis. I know all the things you do and that you have a reputation for being alive. That's your reputation. But you are dead. Wake up. Strengthen what little remains, for even what is left is almost dead. I find that your actions do not meet the requirements of my God. Go back to what you heard and believed at first. Hold to it firmly. So there are a couple of shifts that we need to make in our Christ following. A couple of things that have to change for us to be the people that God wants us to be. We're this, we're this group of people who come together and, and we want to know, God, what's next? What are we supposed to do? What, what needs to happen? So here's one of the first shifts that we need to make. We need to move from more programs to more mission fields. We need to move from more programs to more mission fields. In other words, we don't need to do any more church programs We need to go, not stay. We need to move out in mission. And you say, well, Greg, where do I go? I don't know where to go. I, you know, go home. I, what do I do? So I'm going to give you some real important information today. You have, Jesus has already placed you in your mission field, no matter where you are in your life. No matter what's going on in your life, you are where he has placed you. And your mission field is this. It's where you live, it's where you work, it's where you study, it's where you play. Your mission field is every place that you are. It's what you do. You have been placed by Jesus in your mission field. You go, I don't like my job. Well, you can change your job, but while you're there, that's your mission field. Well, I don't like school. I've never met anybody who really does like school. Okay, but you're there. If you leave, truant officer will come find you, all right? You're there. It's your mission field. You should be on mission. What is it you like to play? If it's golf, I think that's ridiculous. <laughs> People told me, Greg, you should play golf. You just, we have so much fellowship. I don't have fellowship when I'm always in the woods looking for a stupid golf ball. It's just, it's not right. It's just not a good thing. So, but... If you happen to think that that's a great place to be, that's your mission field. I can't do that. I say things out there that I just, it destroys my mission. <laughs> I want to give you an example today. This is going to be fun. Rachel, would you join me up here? Let's give it up for Rachel Hale de Garcia. All right, she, she is one of ours, and... Um, I know she shared a little bit about what, what she and Nolo are doing in Guatemala, I don't know, four or five months ago, six months ago, whenever it was. But I know quite a few of you weren't here to hear that. And um, I actually want to go a little deeper into what you're doing today. Rachel uh, and Hannah, her sister, they, they've grown up as they're part of our church, amazing girls, and, and we just love them to death. Um, both uh, Rachel and Hannah have this incredible heart for people. And, um, uh, but it's been a tough journey to get to where you are. And, and, and so um, you, you went to college and yes. got your teaching degree. Then you went and got your master's. You had a really good job. Okay, um, yeah. Lots of money. Is this thing on? I put it on? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I think it's on now. No. Yeah. There we go. There we Thank you. Um, You had good job, money, you're, you're fine, yeah. uh, then you weren't fine. And then I was not fine, no. Tell us what happened. So, college was hard. Um, it was not easy for me. I had a lot of depression. And it's funny that you're talking about masterpiece. We did not plan this, but I did not feel 
like I was a masterpiece. And I had no idea how to be that masterpiece. Mm. People would say, oh, you are a masterpiece, but I didn't feel it. And also the sleeping. I don't, you just got everything that I did in, in college. And when I first started teaching, I felt like I was asleep. And I wasn't awake and I didn't know what I was doing. But my entire childhood, I knew I wanted to be a teacher. So I went. I went to college. I went to five years, got my master's, went and started teaching. And I was so depressed that getting out of bed in the morning was awful. And I couldn't figure out why, what was wrong with me. Like, where was this masterpiece? How was I supposed to be a masterpiece? Mm. And it got to the point where my parents and my sister and my therapist said, you need to quit. You're done. You can't do this anymore. It's going down a wrong... It's just not going well. So I quit, and um, a lot of you know Todd Maureen Erickson. They called me and said, hey, come teach our high school student. So I moved to Guatemala. That's their their daughter, Emily. Emily is their daughter, yes. So so I teach her. Like homeschool with a... A move-in graduate teacher. Yes. That had to be awful on her. Yeah, so bad. (laughs) It was just awful. So moving to Guatemala showed me how, if you've ever been a painter and artist, you see that there are so many different layers before you can get to the overall finished piece of work. And I'm still not finished, and I know that, but the hard that I had to go through to get me to Guatemala, I wouldn't change any of it. It was so hard. I was suicidal in my two years teaching, but it got me to Guatemala. And if I hadn't have been that bad and that broken, I would have never moved. I would have never met Nolo. I would have never lived in Guatemala and potentially will live there for the rest of my life. It's just... He has this master plan, and now if I was your parent, yes, I'd be like, okay, honey, you had your time in Guatemala. Uh-huh. Time to come home now. Yeah, yeah, when I called them and said, I called them. Nolo pursued me since the first day I got there, and I told him, no, you're short. I <laughs> not. I mean, you've met my father. <laughs> So his whole family is that tall, and Nolo comes to be, like, right here. And I was like, mm, you just do not fit into the Kevin Hale family. But So I was like, all right, you know, it's fine. And the first week, I think I called him and said, hey, there's this guy that likes me, but I don't like him. It's fine. <laughs> the second week, I called them. I said, hey, so I do like him. But we're not going to date. We're going to take it slow. And you're praying that he would grow up. I was. I was praying that he would still just kind of get a little. The third week I called them, I said, hey, so we are dating, and I'm pretty sure he's my husband. So have fun with that information. I will talk to you later. But because y'all have gone down to Guatemala enough, people knew of Nolo, so my parents were able to talk to other people and be like, okay, I guess he's a good idea. Like, Maybe you can live in Guatemala. It's really far away and kind of scary, but okay, that's where I am now. Yes, you are. So, um, wow, so many things. <laughs> but um, you guys live in a little town mm-hmm. called The Blessing. So we live in San Pedro. Oh. San Pedro Las Huertas. Bad intel. No, it's okay. okay. The place that we work is The Blessing. Okay. So it's like... I know the place I work, it's not a blessing. No. (laughs) Okay, this is good. I'm very fortunate to work in a place called The Blessing. Yeah. Uh, (laughs) I'm sorry. Um, So, what do you guys do in The Blessing? We are the Christ, the body of Christ. We love children. Their parents aren't home, they don't have adult figures. So we are there for them. We love them. We teach them about Jesus. We feed them constantly. And we just love on them. Here are four of our little ones. Um, Your right completely is my niece. Her name is Abby. She is precious. We love her. The little boy next to her is Levy. Levy is deaf and has never been to school before. We happened upon him one day. He came to program, and he, through 
talking with the kids, and then we actually went up to his grandmother. He does not live with his mom. He is too much work for her, and she can't afford it. So he now lives with his grandmother and two, an aunt and an uncle. Never been to school. They don't know what to do with him. So Nolo and I are like, all right, we really feel like we're supposed to be God here. Let's, or not God, but like help him. Jesus. Jesus yeah, in this situation. Right. So we find a school. Nolo gets up every morning, drives Levy to school because public school buses are not a thing down there. Um, so he gets up, takes Levy to school, picks him up in the afternoon, brings him back. And the, the change in this little boy is outrageous. He is now able to like speak with other children and he is just getting better at communicating and Nolo and I are taking sign language classes so that we can communicate with him. Wow. And it's just wow. incredible. You have a, there's a, a girl, I think that who's nine years old, mm-hmm. never been to school. No, that's a, a little boy. His name is Carlos. Like I said, bad intel. It's okay. <laughs> okay. Tell us about Carlos. So Carlos, um, we just, uh, school starts in January, about halfway through January, we were talking with him and Nola was like, how's school going? He goes, I don't, I don't go to school. And we're like, well, have you gone to school? And he said, no, I've never gone to school. Okay. So Nola comes home and goes, Hey Rachel, Carlos doesn't go to school. And I was like, all right. So we went and talked to his mom. He had never been to school. We're like, okay, we're going to go get him his school uniform and his supplies we don't have time to, to think about a sponsor because it's already a couple weeks into school. He's never been to school, so we need to get on this. So we throw him on the back of a motorcycle. I mean, not obviously throw him. He had a helmet, and I was on a different motorcycle. And um, went to the market. We went and picked out his clothes, and we picked out his school supplies. And he is now happily in school with kids two to three years younger than him. Okay. Yeah. This just happens over and over and over again. It does. And um, let, me, let me just be... Here's why I really wanted Rachel to share. Um, she didn't plan to go live in Guatemala. She planned to be a teacher. She didn't plan to have zero money. <laughs> uh, she planned to make money and live in the wealthiest county in the nation. She didn't go to Guatemala to start a mission. She just needed to get away because she was feeling so bad. In the middle of her living, hanging on, struggling, God has created what we call a church. It's a church, as I shared last week, made up of little people. It's a church that, that will change the blessing one day. And um, she met this amazing guy who loves her and this is their passion. And they have no money. They just do it. I mean, it's not like they, they make a bunch of money. They're, they're just giving and giving and giving. And every time I talk to you, you're loving life. Yeah. It's just incredible. And so um, in addition to having her just share, because it's such a display of what I, I'm talking about today, I want to raise some money for these folks so here's what I, I want you to do. Some, some of you can really help out here. The church has them on, on our missions budget, but uh, they, need to, they need to do more and, and experience more, and they're living on peanuts, trust me. So if you go to our, our website, destinychurch.info, go to the Give tab, you'll find NOLO and Rachel uh, Guatemala Church Plant. That's what we're calling this. We don't know what else to call it. And there's a way that you could give every month. It could be 10 bucks or 25 bucks. Some of you could give $100 a month. But we want to, we see what God is doing. We, we, we're getting a, a beautiful picture of what God wants to do in this forsaken place. And um, so I, I just love for you people to, to do whatever it's going to take to make this thing happen. Thank you so much, man. We love you. Oh, proud of you. Thank you. Now, folks, you're not going to be Jeff and Cynthia Clark who go build a barn. You're not going to be Nolo and Rachel and go move to Guatemala. But the Apostle Paul is saying, awake, sleeper. Wake up. 
Something needs to happen. He gives us a second warning in Ephesians chapter 6, the sixth section of this deal. And he says, here's a final word. Be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on all of God's armor so that you'll be able to stand firm against all strategies of the devil. For we're not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in this dark world, and against evil spirits in heavenly places. I think part of our sleep problem, sleep churching, is really a demonic thing. It's really a spiritual thing. There's a spirit of sleep that has gripped the church, and the church in America especially. And, and I just heard someone recently say, you know, the world's at war, and the church is acting like they're having a picnic in Normandy on D-Day. It, we're, not, we're, not, we're not awake. We're not doing what we're supposed to be doing. So our second shift here, the second thing that we need to do, given this warning, is we need to move from more strategy to more surrender, more programming and ideas to more surrendering of our lives where God has put us. I believe with all of my heart that there is a system of oppression inside the church, in, in the church that I know, the church in our country. There's this, there, there are these things that, that the deceiver has done to create a false church. Something that, if you go back to that first century and you see what was happening, we don't look anything like that at all. The heart, the soul of who we're supposed to be has been anesthetized to the point that we are pretty much unnoticed in our culture. Here are just some symptoms of this oppression that's in the church. It's what I would call the pastor and people divide. It's the idea that there are people in the church and then there are pastors who do the ministry. Let me talk to you about pastors. I know a lot about pastors. My father, my granddad, they were pastors. I'm a pastor. I know pastors. We are not better than anybody. We are not smarter than anybody. We are not more called or chosen or blessed or important to the church than anybody else. We are not more spiritual. I'm just being honest. We're, we're just people. On our best day, the best thing we can do is be servants. But there's this thing that we've been taught. There, even... even Many of you come from churches that it was always like this. There, there are the people, and then there are these priests or these special people, special calls, special this, special that. That is not what you read about in Ephesians. In Ephesians, in this letter that Paul wrote, he said, you're the masterpiece. You're the, you're the way. You hold this in your hands. And so at the very best, on our very best day as, as church leaders, we're simply servants to help you do what needs to be done with what's in your hands. Here's another oppressive system in the church. It's the idea that we're supposed to build the church instead of building the kingdom. You will not find anything in Scripture that says, hey, we're supposed to build a great church. You're not going to find it. You can read all the way from Genesis to Concordance. It's not in there. It's just not there. It's not, that's not the goal. Our goal is not to build a great church and have a big crowd and do all that. That's not the goal. The goal is God's kingdom, the mysterious thing that he is for everyone. That's the goal. Paul didn't say, get big, get great. He said, go. Here's another oppressive system. We tend to think, as Christ followers, that our relationships are to come with agendas. We build, we're to start new relationships with our agenda. 
What agenda? Oh, all the things that people who are not like us do. Right? It's, it's, it's all the stuff that we've learned that's wrong. And we, we, we think we're going to win people by bringing our agenda to them. What the Bible teaches is that that's judging and that is not our job. In fact, the only people who are to be judged are believers who are not following Jesus. We're not supposed to judge the world for, for years. I mean, well, probably for centuries, but as long as I've lived, the church has always had its pet gripes, its, its the pet sins, the pet things that they, they hated. You know, when I was, when I was in school, as, as um, probably a fifth, sixth, seventh grader, we were praying. We'd do the Pledge of Allegiance every day, and then we would say the Lord's Prayer every day. And I remember when they took that out, and then they took the Ten Commandments off the walls, and then everybody's in an uproar. Well, you know, we're all going to hell in a handbasket, and they took the prayer out, they took this out. Listen, I was there when we were praying and had the commandments, and school was horrible. Sin was everywhere. I got beat up all the time until I learned how to fight. That's not Jesus. And Ten Commandments, I, I read, you know, ter, you know, do not kill, but I was getting killed and, you know, stuff like that. It, it wasn't a great time. We were the most racist people. How, how godly was that? The Ten Commandments on the wall doesn't change squat. I'm just trying to be honest. Have you ever noticed that the culture around us are so angry with Christians, Christianity. It's, it's, it's there. It's for real. But folks, we started the fight. We did that. Go back to Jesus. Go back to the, what he did when he was on earth. Who was angry? Who was angry with Jesus? Religious people. Not the tax collectors, not the prostitutes, not the people who were messed up. They loved Jesus. They're the ones that showed up to take care of his body and after he'd been crucified. We flipped it somehow. That's a messed up system I, I, I don't want you to think things that I'm not saying um, we I don't like sin sin kills and destroys and, but Paul said we're supposed to be rooted in love we're supposed to be rooted in love. Here's another oppressive system. The church needs professional people to minister to them. Well, that thought comes straight from the pit of hell. It is not biblical. The Bible says that you're the ministers. You minister to each other and share life with the world. My grandfather was a house painter and wallpaper hanger and he started 12 churches and, and paid for the buildings himself. A, a house painter. Had a, like a fifth grade education. He taught things from the Bible that they just weren't right. But thousands of people became Christ followers because of what he did. Here's my last uh, oppressive system. It's this idea that church is what we do on Sundays. Church is not a program. It's not an organization. It's not a club. It's the body of Jesus going into the darkest of corners of society, bringing light and hope and love every day of the week. Can I, can I be a good pastor to you right now? This doesn't happen often. But if you think that this is church, you are in need of a huge life shift to become the people that God wants you to be. In America, we need a couple of huge changes. We need to understand that the church 
is not a religious service, but we're really like an army hospital. We're part of a movement. We're part of something that's supposed to take over the world. And we are constantly dealing with people who are struggling. And it's a great place to be a church, to help one another, to encourage one another, to love one another, to, to, to minister to one another because there's a war going on and we've got to triage and we've got to help you grow and we have to help you get strong and we have to but but you are a masterpiece no matter where you are today you're a masterpiece we need to <laughs> I was thinking about this I don't know if you've ever read about the four chaplains in World War II it's a very interesting wonderful story But one of the things I I did not know was that the government, the U.S. government, took all the cruise ships and turned them into troop transports or troop transport ships. In fact, many of the ships that got blown apart in Torpedo Alley were basically cruise liners that had been taken from these cruise companies and they just passed through the wrong place and where people, many soldiers died. We're not to be on a cruise ship. We're supposed to be on a troop transport. This is war. There's so much at stake. I want us to be that kind of church. I want you to be that kind of person. You will never, you know, what I love about Rachel's story she, had, she did everything that she was supposed to, but she never would have been who she was supposed to be if she hadn't gone through this horrible, ugly time in her life. And God used that to put her in a place to change a town called The Blessing. And who knows where that's going to go. So... <clears throat> That's how he does it. He does it through people who don't have it all together. He doesn't do it through professionals. He does, he, he does it with you. And I would say, you need to be praying, Lord, where's the mission? Where am I supposed to go? You won't get to the place where you are who you were meant to be until you jump into that mission. That is what will feed everything inside of you you will come alive. And that's how we're supposed to live. The light is what Paul called it. He said, be the light. This, this, this great mystery has been handed to you. You're the light. Let me pray. Father, oh, how we've from what was started. We've lost the mystery. We've lost the, the passion, the picture. Your, your sacrifice, your gift to us has been turned into some kind of a consumer thing for people who don't ever think about mission. Lord, I am the first one in the room to say, God, may I be totally awake May I be totally awake. May I see the things that need to be seen so I can steward the mission in a way that would change the world around me. Lord, I pray that for every person in the room. Would we please be called to wake up I pray that we would respond. I pray that we would begin to think 
and plan and pray that we would be on mission where we live, where we work, where we study, where we play, where our life is. I pray, Father, that we would just do what is in front of us to do missionally minded to change the world around us so that we could end our lives having done everything that you created us to be. Lord, there's some people in this room right now who have decued themselves from this because of their life, where they've lived, the messes, the problems. And I pray that you would just let them know right now, it is not in our strengths that we do these things, this this mysterious thing that you've called us to. It's through our weaknesses. It's through our failures. It's through our emotional messes. It's through our even the sin that we've committed, the things we've blown apart in our lives. You use all of that so that we could do what you have created us to do. Lord, I pray for that person right now that needs to surrender their lives to you. We sang a song today about being surrendered to you. And there's some people in this room today who need to say yes to you, who need to say, I'm going to follow Jesus. I'm going to give him my life. I want to be the masterpiece that you've created me to be. And Lord, I pray for that person that they would make that decision today or at least understand that they get to make a choice of how they want to live and I ask this in Jesus name Amen